This is episode 32 of Ripe Good Scholar, Analyzing of the Shrew. So I feel like there's also this kind of moment of like, one, he's not insulting me to my face for the most part. Which is great. Yay, me. (laughs) He hasn't called me the worst. (laughs) So obviously I should marry him. Obviously marriage material. This is Stephanie Craniola, host of Protest Too Much Podcast, and you're listening to Ripe Good Scholar. Welcome to Ripe Good Scholar with Sarah Plaskett. Sarah believes that in order to fully understand the relevance of Shakespeare's works in the 21st century, you must examine the history those plays have travelled through since Shakespeare wrote them. Ripe Good Scholar is the show that dives into the archives, theatres and museums to explore the historical evolution of Shakespeare's plays. Join us in examining when and why they were written in the first place, as well as how they have been utilised around the world since then, so that you can see for yourself how the plays continue to be as relevant today as they were in the 16th century. And now, here's Sarah. Hello, and welcome to Ripe Good Scholar. Catherine, or Kate, from Taming of the Shrew, is a fiery woman who is unafraid to speak her mind. This, unfortunately, made her an outcast in her time. All of the people around her are completely unafraid to point that out by throwing numerous insults at her almost constantly. It begs the question, what came first? The insults or the shrew? That is what Dr. Lisa Grogan and I will be looking at today. For this episode, we watched the BBC version of Taming of the Shrew with John Cleese. For even more information, head over to ripegoodscholar.com EP32. Now... Let's head to Padua. Today, we are going to be talking about Catherine or Kate from Taming of the Shrew. On the one hand, I wanted to look at the abuse because once they get married, just things go off the rails. Right, right. Then I thought about it and there's kind of this notion of like, she's just a shrew. But I think there are hints in the play where it's like, well, maybe... Y'all made her this way. Right. Similar to what we saw with Lear and Cordelia. Like, Bianca's better, just objectively, all around. Everybody loves her, and you're the worst. To me, I started being like, of course she's mad at you. Within minutes of seeing her, you've insulted her. Yes. (laughs) That's what I wanted to look at today. Looking at how people treat her could have informed her approach to people. Before we started recording, you had said, does everyone say she's the worst because she's a shrew? Or is she a shrew because everyone says she's a shrew? (laughs) We look at the part in the play where Kate first appears. Um, So in in the actual text of the play, there's this whole nonsensical framing device that I honestly have no idea what purpose it serves. (laughs) It's like a whole thing with a drunk guy and they make him, they take him home and pretend he's the lord of this manor. And it's weird. It's a whole weird framing device. That is strange. Okay, sure. It is typically cut from production. <laughs> I wonder why. Baptista, the father, enters with Caterina, Bianca, and assorted people and suitors. And, you know, Baptista says, Gentlemen, importune me no further. For how I firmly am resolved, you know. That is, not to bestow my youngest daughter before I have a husband for the elder. If either of you both love Katerina, because I know you well and love you well, leave shall you have to court her at your pleasure. The first one responds, to cart her rather, she's too rough for me. There, there, Hortensio, will you any wife? That's in front of her. 
Yeah. And and it just goes on. Like, they just keep being mean to her. So a lot of my frame of reference for the basic plot structure is 10 Things I Hate About You. Not bad. That's, like I said, more just a, a general frame of, of how the plot goes. But the idea of if someone wants to get at, you know, my gem of a child, Bianca, they have to get through, you know, my hellion. Thinking about that, which came first. First off, I don't really think that people are generally born bad. I don't think that she was born a shrew. Yeah. If this is how things have been framed in front of everyone, like what's happening behind closed doors? Yeah. What? messages has this poor woman gotten throughout her life well and i think too you look at it and you know actually you do see this in 10 things i hate about you but it is um similar to what you see in taming the shrew bianca's obedient and mild and sweet which just makes me wonder like if if we're gonna speculate on what the past would be you know like obviously pretending these are real people we just speculate wildly <laughs> this is what we do welcome to the speculate wildly show yes <laughs> especially these episodes <laughs> was she like kind of outspoken and not just gonna like go along with whatever anybody says yeah and so people are like well she's clearly just the worst person especially for a woman so i think there's two main things to take a look at here is one kind of how did katarina you know come to be the way that she is and what makes her a shrew which I don't like that word, but the other words that are coming to my head are not PG. We'll stick with Shrew. We'll stick with Shrew. I think y'all know what we're talking about. I know that a lot of what you do, the podcast and everything, is to contextualize Shakespeare. And I think that's important because, for example, you know, today, if we say that, you know, someone is difficult, well, okay, that could mean a lot of different things. If we're saying she is a Shrew, like, what does that mean? I think Shakespeare gives us some idea for that if we keep looking at this scene. These are all the men. It's a mix of the suitors and their servants. From all such devils, good lord, deliver us. And me too, good lord. Hush, master. Here's some good pastime toward. That wench is stark mad or wonderful forward. <laughs> but in the other silence, I do see maids mild behavior and sobriety. I think it's important, yes, looking, you know, looking at that scene that... They do kind of lay out, you know, what they consider to be shrewish behavior. Mm -hmm. Oh, look at how wonderful Bianca is that she's, you know, so quiet and mild mannered. And then, you know, look at this woman that needs to be tamed. That's the language we use for literal animals that want to rip our faces off. Yeah. And we're using it for this woman who wants to stand up for herself. The beginning of the play is more where 10 Things I Hate About You aligns because obviously Heath Ledger does not like turn abusive mid-play. Which is good, because yeah, I like which him. which is like, you know, good call. Good call. Good call, 90s rom-com. But I would almost argue then, have our sensibilities really changed that much? Because in the 90s, we made a movie based on this where Bianca was sweet and popular and mild and super... And she ended up kind of being like sneakier than she seemed, but... Right. And Kate was outspoken and off the beaten path and just not conventional there is a point you know of have our sensibilities really changed that much and in many areas they haven't heaven forbid you ever look at the comment section of anything ever on the internet where a woman is you know being opinionated you will see a slew of people 
unfortunately, mostly cisgender men who are basically saying, you know, that this is why you can't ever find a husband, that, you know, this is why you're going to die alone. And, you know, men don't like that. That is still the attitude of, of many people, unfortunately. You know, looking at Kate, imagine being a woman at that time who is outspoken and says what she thinks. And it's smart. Like, she's just oh, a smart yeah. one. She is just, like, taking them all down repeatedly. Her being herself makes her... Unmarriable. That would be so frustrating. And so at a certain point, I feel like do you, you're faced with the choice of do I submit and be the quiet, sweet one and just keep my thoughts back? Or do I lean into this? That's what I was thinking, you know, is how interesting it is that she ended up being that type of person. You know, we tend to normalize what we experience as children and what we experience societally. And so for her to have it, you know, modeled and very clearly laid out that this is what is expected of you as a human, as a woman, and to push back against that at all I think is unusual I know for myself and my contrary streak if I'm like well if you're gonna expect me to behave like a shrew then I'm gonna behave like a shrew I'm gonna tell you what I think because I'm gonna get hell for it either way <laughs> exactly and I think that we see a few examples in the play too where she still wants to be married to have that you know like you you see just a few inklings seeping through but, you know, when it's given to her, she almost doesn't believe it. I think there's a couple of things that could account for that. It, and some of it is also that marriage was a necessity for women at that time. And so, you know, even if she's not necessarily on board with what is expected of her in order to be married, I'm sure that there's that calculus of, you know, I need to have a house, I need a roof over my head, and this is how I'm gonna get it. Where I get that from is, and we're gonna we're gonna have to jump around on the timeline a little bit, but um, after uh, Petruccio lose Kate and they they're get they're getting married, and he like shows up super late, you have Kate saying. Um, no shame but mine, I must forsooth be forced to give my hand opposed against my heart unto a mad-brained Rudsby full of spleen, who wooed in haste and means to wed at leisure. I told you I, he was a frantic fool, hiding his bitter jests and blunt behavior, and to be noted for a merry man. He'll woo a thousand, point a day of marriage, make feasts, invite friends, and proclaim the bands, yet never means to wed where he hath wooed. Now must the world point at poor Catherine and say, Lo, there's mad Petruccio's wife. If it would please him, come to marry her. And then Tranio. Patience, good Catherine and Baptista too. Upon my life, Petruccio means but well. Whatever fortune says him from his word. Though he be blunt, I know him passing wise. Though he be merry, yet withal he's honest. Kate. Would Catherine had never seen him though. Exit weeping, followed by Bianca and others. Like, she's saying, like, oh, this is against my will, and I, I told you he was crazy, and now I'm going to be crazy man's wife, you know, but she still leaves saying, I wish I'd never seen him, and leaves crying because this is, like, a traumatic moment for her. And, and I think, to your point, there is some societal pressure there to, like, that's embarrassing yeah. to have your husband, like, not show up to your wedding. I think in looking at the way that Kate reacts to Petruccio's behavior, you know, there's a lot of things that can account for that. And one of them is that 
I would imagine it took a lot of doing for her to agree to marry anyone. And so, you know, essentially she's like, I have agreed to give up, you know, so much of myself and what's important to me for him. And, you know, he can't be bothered to show up on time. Um, and I think some of that is being angry at herself, you know, for like letting someone in. And then this is how he repays her, which is a why a lot of times when people have been hurt, they don't, you know, they're, they're scared to get hurt again. You know, they're a lot of times there can be, you know, a cynicism and, you know, a hope, you know, I don't want to get my hopes up and, and that kind of thing. And it, it sounds like that she had gotten her hopes up and then now is like, oh, he's just like all the other ones. I'm going to be, you know, the town laughing stock, just like I didn't want to be. That moment to me provides a lot of perspective on a little on kind of her inner workings. Like you were saying, you know, she she let him in even just a little bit. I think Kate could have gotten out of it if she really wanted to. I don't know for sure because yeah. of the time. I'm like that's where I wobble a little bit. But I feel like her father's not like that mean. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be this like no quick marry her. I'm done. Like a little bit of that, but. I, I don't think he would ever, like, intentionally put her in a cruel situation. And we see that a little bit after, you know, kind of Petruccio flips the switch on her after they get married. And mm -hmm. is like, no, you don't get to stay for the reception. Bye. He's like, no, what? Who did I marry my daughter to? I think that if she had, like, this sounds victim blaming and I don't like it. But I think that if she had been, like, full-heartedly, like, oh, heck no, mm -hmm. her father might have been inclined to listen. I don't know much about how easy it would have been for her to, you know, kind of get out of the wedding or not, or, you know, if Baptista would have, you know, forced her or not. Yeah, that's that's hard to say. There's also part of me that wonders, even if she was kind of like, eh, like this wasn't out. Because one, it was beneficial for women to get married at the mm -hmm. time. But two, like if I get married, everybody shuts up. That's true. That is very true. I wonder if some of it is almost a fatalism in her of like, this is the best I'm going to do. Like he's at least not as terrible as most of the others. And then I don't have to deal with my dad's whole thing of, you know, if anyone can marry my hag of a daughter, then my Pearl can get married off. And I think what's interesting too is when we look before the marriage where you see that this might be an out for her at least is when she first meets him he says good morrow kate for that is your name i hear and she's like well have you heard but something hard of hearing they call me catherine that do talk of me you lie in faith for you are called plain kate and bonnie kate and sometimes kate the curse but kate the prettiest kate in christendom kate of kate hall my super dainty Kate, for daintiest are all Kates, and therefore, Kate, take this of me, Kate, of my consolation, hearing thy mildest, mildness praised in every town, thy virtue spoke of, and thy beauty sounded, yet not so deeply as to thee belongs, myself am moved to woo thee for my wife. And, you know, so he basically was like, oh, you're so great, and you're so pretty, and you're so mild and gentle and virtuous, and like, I I'm here to woo you. And she's immediately suspicious. Obviously. And like, he does act crazy in the scene, but so does she. Like, they both go bonkers, but he doesn't really say anything like horrible to her yet. Mm -hmm. 
I can understand where Kate's coming from in that situation. Oh, she's yeah. obviously like been portrayed and told to her face that she's like the town shrew. And then this guy comes in and is like, you're great. And she's like, what do you want? So I can definitely kind of see that. And I think some of it may kind of be, does he really think this about me? Because I don't think we can underestimate the power that it would have had for someone to show her some positive attention. And I think also in that scene, and, and this probably has a lot more to do with how the actors portray it. Mm -hmm. than how it necessarily reads. But I think a lot of times in that scene, you see like he meets her every step of the way. She says something, he shoots back. She shoots, he shoots back. He shoots, she shoots back. So I feel like there's also this kind of moment of like, one, he's not insulting me to my face for the most part. Which so, is great. Like, yay, me. <laughs> he hasn't called me the worst. <laughs> so obviously I should marry him. Obviously marriage material, but also this kind of sense of like, we are matching on the wit scale. <laughs> I like that openness for interpretation that it can either read that she may, you know, kind of be giving Petruchio a second look because he is saying nice things about her, or it's because he is actually matching her on wit. Yeah. I like that reading, especially because I think that makes sense as to why she would think he was different. Because just him saying nice things to my conceptualization of Kate would not have necessarily been enough. But the fact that women weren't equal and women weren't thought to be as smart or, you know, weren't expected to be witty and, and for him to match her in that way shows that he sees her as somewhat equal and that he has some level of respect for her intelligence. If we compare how Petruchio shot back with her compared to how the other guys did, you know, she would say something witty and they'd be like, oh Lord, what devils be here? You know, and it's yeah. like, come on, man, I'm funny. I think about the people that I get along with in my life and it's those people that when I make a sarcastic comment, they can make one right back. I think for me, that's where you kind of see the the walls come down a little bit and that's where you know following then for him to not show up to their wedding she was like i got caught up in this whirlwind i really do think that that interpretation of him being able to match her wit makes more sense because my guess is that you know this is not the first time that baptista has you know come out and been like you know whoever wants to marry bianca like we gotta we gotta find a husband for kate first you know and so she probably has already had people trying to like spread some fake flattery around, you know, to try to to get to Bianca. And so this may be the first time that someone actually kind of came at her differently. Well, and I think, too, he wasn't immediately turned off by her, you know, could be remarks. Yes. Like she started firing at him. And as we said before, he fired right back. But before everybody's just like she makes a clippy remark and they're like, oh, you're the worst. You're the worst. Lord, what devils be here. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, that, that that reading makes more sense. And it it would also make more sense as to why she would allow some of her walls to come down with that, you know, because it was like, oh, maybe I don't have to completely hide who I am and how smart I am in order to get married. What I will say, because, you know, anybody who's read the play knows that, like, he he doesn't even let her go to her own wedding reception, doesn't feed her. She says the sun's out and he says, no, it's the moon and, like, makes her be like, yeah, sure, it's the moon. Like, he, he breaks her down. And then there's that final speech where she's like, this is what it means to be a good wife. So when I first encountered the play, one, we had done 
done it in high school. And I was like, how did we get away with that? Yeah. It gets a lot worse. So I, I talked to my old English teacher and I was like, how how did we during that production deal with it? And how, how have you seen it done? Because he's seen a lot of productions. And so he said a lot of times, and I, I read this too. It's a lot of times where it's almost like she joins in the game. Mm-hmm. People will portray it as like, that's their game. Like that's how they kind of have fun with people and have fun with each other. And in the, her final speech, um, there was one production that my English teacher had seen where as she was doing the speech every now and then she'd walk closer to Petruccio and he'd have to slip her money for her to keep talking. Well, and I think that's also one of those things that is just an uncomfortable part of history. And I think because, you know, we like for, you know, like Shakespeare is this, you know, paragon of literature that no, of course he wasn't, you know, sexist and anti-Semitic and, you know, all these negative things. And I think that's an important, you know, update that no, like, I mean, legit, like Shakespeare was advocating for abusing your wife to get her in line. Now we're horrified by it. So we tend to update it to, oh, this is their game. That is one of the really interesting things about Shakespeare, especially in these early plays. There is so little stage direction it it can be difficult for us to say like this is a hundred percent for sure what he meant but i will say one thing whether he truly felt that way or not if it was going to be popular on the stage that's what he wrote absolutely and if we're going to take an honest look at his works i think we have to understand the historical context and that includes the uncomfortable parts of the history as much as taming of the shrew is you know a comedy and so we're like oh if it was funny then then we need to update it so it's funny now you know that what was funny to them may we may not find humorous now definitely and i think some people get thrown off too by this weird framing device because like we come back to the framing device at the end of the weird drunken man who they're pretending is like a lord and he he's he says something about like what the takeaway from the play was but he's also from beginning to end an idiot <laughs> it complicates it i think that absolutely they would have been like haha we tamed the shrew we can see a lot of her behavior through the lens of trying to exert control in a world in which she didn't have a lot. Yeah. And that, you know, being a shrew was the way that she could exert her control in her world. Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Don't forget to go to ripegoodscholar.com EP32 for even more information on The Taming of the Shrew. The show notes for every episode are filled with additional resources and facts that can help you further explore this topic. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review. It helps others find our podcast so our community of scholars can grow. Also, make sure you are on our mailing list to receive a free digital download and be kept up to date on everything going on over at Ripe Good Scholar. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Ripe Good Scholar to keep the Shakespeare fun going all day, every day. That's all for now. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Ripe Good Scholar. As always, the deepest dives and best discussions are happening after the show at ripegoodscholar.com. Join us over there to lend your perspective and engage with fellow scholars. We would love to hear from you. That's all for today. And remember, our court shall be a little academe, still and contemplative in living art.